Welcome once again to Iban International's module on sustainable consumption and production. In our previous discussion, we talked about the people-powered sustainable consumption and production framework that puts people's rights at the heart of the entire production and consumption chain. Thus, the be-all and end-all of every aspect and step of the system is the people's rights be it civil and political, social, economic, and cultural. We closed Module 3 by saying that the people's rights and welfare are the chief priority. Thus, the PPSEP framework can be summarized as follows. People's rights are the key link in achieving PPSCP. Sustained people's action is needed for PPSCP to be realized an SCP is a systemic issue that requires a systemic solution. We also learned about the cases of the Philippines for its Bungkalan campaign by the Kasama LR in Lupang Ramos, and the beekeeping and forest conservation that is important in the identity of the Ogik in Mao Forest in Kenya. These are important case studies in understanding the basics of the PPSCP practice as applied in specific sectors. Today, in this module's last installment, Part 4, Advocating for People-Powered Sustainable Consumption and Production, we will discuss the different sectors, spaces, and opportunities in terms of PPSCP's practices and strategies. We will also properly define the concept of advocacy, specifically as used in the context of sustainable consumption and production. Further, there are various and broad approaches and tools to practice these strategies that cuts across sectors and issues including local, national, and international engagement spaces. Let us start by defining what advocacy is. Advocacy can be defined as the act or process of pleading for a cause. It involves persuading people to take action through several means such as recommending or supporting policy reforms, challenging or defending ideas. On the other hand, policy advocacy means using various organized strategies and tactics to achieve a public policy goal. It puts the demands of people into systems, aiming to create a space for public discussion. Policy advocacy involves those who are affected, challenges those in power, and offers alternatives. At the national level, for example, it focuses on engaging lawmaking and regulatory bodies such as legislature, the executive, regulatory agencies, and the judiciary. At the global level, international intergovernmental bodies do exist in the form of United Nations agencies and mechanisms for cooperation on development issues, including SCP. However, these spaces have varying levels of openness to participation of civil society organizations or the CSOs. Nevertheless, these spaces are still crucial, not just in shaping the opinion of the international community, but also in enforcing international laws such as 
through the International Criminal Court or the ICC and the UN Human Rights Council, among other similar processes CSOs can engage. Why is doing advocacy important? Doing advocacy work allows organizations and advocates to create an environment conducive to the attainment of their goals. By employing a combination of tools and tactics to mobilize greater numbers of people, generating additional support and resource in the process, a successful advocacy initiative can provide invaluable support for movements. Advocacy work is necessary in the context of rights-based democracy as it provides a mechanism for the involvement and participation of the people in the development process. At the same time, advocacy work is a manifestation of empowerment by asserting rightful venues through which an individual or community can be heard and allowed to express their views and opinions. More importantly, advocacy work is done in support of campaigns on people's issues, complementing efforts done by people's organizations such as actions on the ground and mass mobilizations. In the context of sustainable development, the engagement of civil society and people's organizations are important in ensuring that people's rights are respected and upheld in the implementation of the SDGs, not only SDG 12 on SCP. Moreover, engagement in these processes can be viewed as integral parts of people's assertion of their sovereignty and people-powered democracy. Advocacy is a multifaceted line of work that consists of various tactics which advocates can employ to achieve their advocacy objectives. There are a number of elements of advocacy which can be used to this end. The first one is education. One of the most important aspects of lobbying is education, which involves increasing the awareness of members, supporters, and other stakeholders and target audiences in the aim of gathering more support. Platforms such as public forum, maximizing assemblies, seminars, and trainings are important to gather support for PPSCP, elicit debate, and expand alliances. Reading materials that explain PPSCP and related issues can be produced in popular format in order to reach the broadest possible audience. Lobbying consists of producing policy papers meant for legislative, regulatory, or other decision-making bodies at the national, regional, and international levels. These policy papers must clearly state what the advocacy seeks to achieve and recommend alternatives for policymakers. In addition, organizations can also conduct legislative forums to facilitate interaction and debate between community leaders, organizers, and policymakers on the issue of reforms. Likewise, it is crucial to influence public hearings and consultations on SCP and other related issues. Mobilization involves persuading target audiences to speak up collectively against or for a certain advocacy agenda in the aim of creating pressure. The main objective of mobilizations is to demand changes in existing policies or preempt the passage of proposed laws. 
Mobilization is a crucial part of advocacy work and is best used hand-in-hand with education and lobbying efforts. With enough mobilized sectors to demand changes in the SEP framework, along with calls on related issues, enough pressure is created to sway policymakers to do the right thing. There are multiple spaces through which communities and civil society can engage SCP in various levels. National level engagement will vary from country to country, but regional, global, and other engagement spaces can be seen illustrated in the figure that you can see on your screen. Global spaces include high-level political forum or the HLPF, and the Voluntary National Reviews, or the VNR. The HLPF is the body responsible for UN's policy on sustainable development. It facilitates the adoption process of negotiated political declarations related to the Sustainable Development Agenda of the UN. The VNR process is driven by national process counterparts. It aims to facilitate the sharing of experiences, including successes, challenges, and lessons learned among member states. Regional spaces include Regional Fora on Sustainable Development, where regional commissions of the UN in Asia-Pacific, Africa, Latin America, West Asia, and Europe conduct their own regional forum on sustainable development. These regional fora are expected to contribute to the HLPF discussions through yearly regional meetings and facilitating the participation of other important regional entities, major groups, and other relevant stakeholders, including CSOs. Civil society platforms engaging these regional fora are counterpart processes initiated and managed by CSOs themselves to mainstream engagement with the regional sustainable development fora mentioned. Multi-stakeholder partnerships include One Planet Network, a multi-stakeholder partnership for sustainable development that aims to be the lead mechanism supporting and implementing the shift to SCB patterns. It also includes other multi-stakeholder partnerships, such as food or save food corporations, corporate sustainability reporting, and e-waste, a global e-waste partnership. Identifying target spaces for engagement is crucial, informing strategies on how to influence the SCP discourse. These spaces have inherent contradictions and restrictions that also have to be recognized. Despite these shortcomings, it does not mean efforts for advocacy work in these arenas are useless. Instead, campaigners and advocates can think of more appropriate and creative strategies by which engagement is utilized and influence is maximized. Pushing back against shrinking spaces, lack of democratic governance, authoritarianism, militarism. In implementing strategies for engagement and advocacy work, it is important to recognize the context and overall political climate where such strategies will be implemented. After all, an enabling environment is crucial in allowing civil society organizations to speak out, advocate, and engage existing spaces that allow such interface. 
Generally speaking, civil society is under threat in many parts of the world. There is a continuing lack of democratic governance which essentially blocks community participation and civil society involvement in decision-making processes. Despite the spaces provided for civil society in different arenas for engaging SCP, the recurring issue is that CSOs are always marginalized in framework and policy setting processes. For example, the HLPF format limits discussions to reviews which effectively denies the space for more in-depth policy discussions. Marginalization of civil society while felt mostly by CSOs engaging in the HLPF and other UN-led processes, is actually more severe for smaller CSOs from underdeveloped countries as they lack enough financial and human resources. More severe forms of repressions are meted by state forces and corporate actors at the community level, resulting in more forced evacuations, harassment, and extrajudicial killing. Cases of violence against activists have been recorded across the globe at increasing levels reaching a crisis point globally, according to Amnesty International. Such abuses continue to extend to other groups such as journalists and lawyers who play key roles in holding governments and other bodies to account. For our first activity in this module, Participants are expected to be guided in identifying key spaces for engagement on the issue of SCP. To do this, a participant shall be able to identify key spaces for engagement at the local, community, and national levels. Once identified, discuss which elements of policy advocacy are needed to engage these spaces. Use the template which is downloadable from the activity tab and submit when you are done. But before that, take a look at my example, which you see on my screen. The name of the advocate is Annie Lennox, and the organization found in 2008 was called The Circle. For the key space for SCP engagement, it is based on the international level because it involves people, particularly women, from different cultural backgrounds. One main element of policy advocacy that is present in the circle is education because the main goal is to raise awareness at the same time explore potentials of the different women from different cultural backgrounds. As a brief explanation, the group of women from different cultural backgrounds collaborated to raise awareness and create events on issues like sustainability, inequality among others. These activities made this circle a registered charitable organization in 2015. In the next slide, you will listen to an example of an advocacy titled The People's Barricade Against Mining Giant Oceana Gold. The People's Barricade Against Mining Giant Oceana Gold Oceana Gold Corporation is an Australian extractive mining company with a high-grade copper and gold mine located in the Depio Casibu, Nueva Vizcaya, in the Philippines. Oceana Gold acquired license to operate in the Depio in 2006 by virtue of a Financial or Technical Assistance Agreement, or FTAA. 
a 2014 environmental investigation mission found damages to forests, air pollution from dusty roads, and stockpiles and massive water pollution, all affecting the health and livelihood of affected residents. The mission also found that copper concentrations in water and sediments in nearby communities greatly exceeded the metal-safe levels, which could result in the death of aquatic life forms and stunt the growth and productivity of agricultural products that get irrigated or flooded by affected waters from nearby river systems. Beside the impacts on the environment and to the residents' livelihood, the People's Coalition on Food Sovereignty, or PCFS, documented cases of human rights abuses. There are incidents of a known man forcibly entering residents' houses while they are away. Residents also complained that they found their homes still locked, but with the shoe prints of mud all over the floor and their cabinets and drawers all open, suggesting that its intruders trespass through the ceiling. In January 2011, the Commission on Human Rights declared the Oceana Gold has violated the rights of the DPO residents, including their rights to residents, right to adequate housing and property rights, right to security of person, right to freedom of movement, and the right not to be subjected to arbitrary interference. The CHR further stated that the company violated the residents' right as indigenous peoples to manifest their own culture and identity. On July 2, 2019, a community barricade was set up by members of communities and various support groups following the expiration of FTAA and therefore Oceana Gold's license to operate in the DPO. The barricade was meant to prevent the further entry of Oceana Gold in the area and stop its operations. The provincial government of Nueva Ecija issued a restraining order, but Oceana Gold still continued its operations. The barricade successfully suspended Oceana Gold's mining operations in the Depio as the people demanded for an end to their license to operate. While waiting for a renewal of its license, Oceana Gold reiterates in its public statement that it has clearance to continue mining operations from the Philippine Mines Bureau. Its application for renewal was endorsed by President Rodrigo Duterte without proper consultation with the provincial and local LGU and indigenous peoples of Casibu. Source, Makaraeg 2019. Our next activity aims to teach the participants how to draft a PPSCP-based advocacy plan. To do this, participants must be able to identify and briefly describe one urgent local or community issue related to SCP. The participants should formulate a PPSCP-based policy proposal, like to revise or scrap an existing policy and push for an alternative, that will address the chosen issue and create a policy advocacy plan for that purpose. The advocacy plan for the policy proposal must identify 1. Key targets, local or national policymakers or government agencies, foreign or international institutions, corporations, and 2. Strategies for the different elements of policy advocacy. 
like education, networking, lobbying, and mobilization in the local, national, and international levels. Once done, the policy advocacy plan would be submitted on the activity tab for proper evaluation. But before that, let me take you to the step-by-step -step process of drafting an advocacy plan. There are four steps in doing an advocacy. The first one is to select your PPSCP priority. Second is to do research and analysis. The third is to plan for your PPSCP advocacy. And the fourth is to put your PPSCP advocacy plan into action. Now let us discuss the steps one by one. Select your PPSCP priority. This is the first step in undertaking advocacy. The organization or community identifies an issue or problem related to SCP that affects their community that can be changed by advocacy. Not all issues can be addressed by advocacy. An advocacy is a problem that can be addressed if changes in certain laws or policies occur. The advocacy issue is usually identified collectively by the organization or community through meetings. During these discussions, several priorities may arise. Here are some tips in choosing which among these issues should be prioritized. Use a problem tree analysis. The problem tree is a visual method that helps a group identify the different dimensions of an issue represented by the trunk by defining its causes represented by the roots and its effects which are the leaves and the fruits. After doing the problem tree analysis, choose which of the causes can be addressed through advocacy by taking the questions like, how does this issue relate to SCP? Is this the most relevant PPSCP issue to your organization or community? Will working on this issue promote PPSCP, address the organization's or the community's needs to protect their rights? Would it help strengthen the organization or the community? Or will it develop new leaders and alliances? These are just some of the considerations that the organization or the community can take when choosing an issue. Other considerations can include resources needed, time frame, and the accessibility of relevant advocacy spaces. After choosing your PPSCP advocacy priority, it is time to do research and analysis. This process will help the organization or community understand their advocacy issue better by collecting quantitative and qualitative information relevant to their issue. Aside from providing data on the impacts of the problem being solved, research and analysis will also help in identifying resources needed for the advocacy, the stakeholders, including advocacy targets, potential allies, and detractors, as well as possible solutions to the problem. Collecting data on the impacts of the problem can be done through surveys, key informant interviews, and focus group discussions. Data collected from these methods can be used to demonstrate the gravity of the problem, to formulate the organization's or the community's advocacy messages based on the demands of the interviewees and develop insights as to what possible solutions can be put forward and explored along with advocacy. 
One method of identifying stakeholders is through using a matrix you see on your screen. This matrix will then help the organization or community determine who the advocacy targets are, the potential allies, and detractors. In this matrix, you will find in the first column the stakeholder type, identifying particularly if these are directly affected, these are part of the government, and if these are advocates. On the second column, you will try to identify who these individuals are or the organizations or the institutions. On the third column, you will identify a key contact person from this particular type of stakeholder. On the fourth column, you have to identify why is the issue important to these people or why does the issue matter to these people. On the fifth column, you will then identify your stand or your position on the issue related to these people or the stakeholder. And on the last column is you will identify the likely level of influence after doing this particular advocacy plan. An advocacy plan is a framework which outlines the policies and practices that the organization or community wants to change and how that change will happen. The following basic elements need to be put together to create an advocacy plan. The problem or the issue. The effects and causes of the problem. The objectives of the advocacy plan. The activities to be carried out to meet the objectives. The resources needed. The key persons responsible for the activities. The key stakeholders identified and the advocacy messages formulated for key stakeholders. When formulating objectives, always make sure that they are smart, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. Activities need to contribute towards the achievement of the objectives of the plan. In order to carry out the objectives, resources and key persons responsible for the implementation of the activities must be identified. Meanwhile, advocacy messages must be formulated according to the results of the research and analysis of what must be done to solve the problem. Oftentimes, these are called demands or key asks. There can be general messages, and there are messages that can be formulated specifically for each target stakeholder. For example, messages for government offices in a land dispute will often involve asking policymakers to promote or repeal a certain law, while messages for fellow community members affected by the same policy will center on taking action to pressure policymakers. In putting your PPSCP advocacy plan into action, different activities can be done. First, lobbying government officials in relevant policy spaces. This can be done through a combination of phone calls, sending letters and written statements, attending intergovernmental meetings and making interventions, meetings with relevant government officials, and the like. Second, engaging the media through press conferences, interviews, sending letters to the editor, arranging media events, and sending press releases. And the last one, mobilizing people, can be done through different means such as rallies, fora, 
workshops, concerts, online events, basically any activity that will put people together to push for changes in policies. The activity mostly depends on the objectives, resources available, and the context of the action. Now we are down to our last activity. This activity aims to teach participants how to write one's own advocacy letter. This is a medium of communication, a formal letter which can serve as an effective means to follow up, persuade, report, and share experiences, all of which are essential facets of advocacy work. In most cases, letters are submitted to stakeholders, typically those who hold office in local or national government units or agencies. Nonetheless, letters can also be used as a means to reach out internally to members of an organization or even the general public, as in the case of open letters. Here is an example of a formal letter. Just like other formal letters, an advocacy letter follows this certain format. The first part of a formal letter is the heading. The heading includes the date and the address of the recipient. In indicating the address of the recipient, do not forget the name, the title, or the position of this person, as well as the complete address to which the letter will be sent to. The next part is the salutation written as dear, then the title of the person, then the surname. For example, dear Governor Cruz. Next part is the body. This is a crucial part of the formal letter as it includes the statement of the problem or the reason for writing, the context or the background, as well as the demands or the advocacy points. Take a look at the example. The statement of the problem or the reason for writing is shown as, We write to express our deep concern about the current situation of farmers in Barangay Langkaan 1, Dasmarinas, Cavite. Around 400 members of the community organization Kasama LR are being wrongfully accused and red-tagged as armed guerrillas by state police forces. After presenting the reason of writing, immediately follow it by contextualizing what it is about. Look at the example. The farmers of Kasama LR have a long-standing land dispute with Emrason. Several land reform programs have passed through the decades, but none has yet successfully distributed land to the tailors. After contextualizing the reason for writing, present your demands or your advocacy points. We believe that because of our ongoing dispute with Emerson and other interested investors, the police forces are being used to threaten, intimidate, and harass us. In relation to this, we forward to you our demands as follows. A. Remove the regional police forces currently deployed in our locality. B. Stop all forms of threat, harassment, intimidation, including red tagging among members of Kasama LR. And C. Address legitimate concerns raised by our organizations, most especially the land dispute with Emerson, among others. You may also end the body by saying, We look forward to meeting with you so we can further discuss in person how we can de-escalate the situation and come up with actionable points addressing our aforementioned concerns. 
Once done with the body, you may end your letter with a complimentary close and a signature. Some examples of complimentary close would be Sincerely, yours truly, sincerely yours, respectfully yours. And then add your signature, your complete name, and your position in the organization where you're part of. When you're done with your letter, submit your output through the activity tab on this module. Make sure that you use the format which we have discussed. It is clear, therefore, that the advocacy for PPSCP has to span local, national, and international scenes. At the local level, PPSCP advocacy should be able to put into context the issues relating to consumption and production on a daily basis and put forward policy options that the people could rally behind. The main objective is to concretely show how community concerns are addressed within the framework of PPSCP. That's all for this module. Congratulations for finishing Ibon International's module on sustainable consumption and production. Make sure that you have completed all the activities and the badges for each part so you could secure your certificate of completion. Once again, I am Billy J. Cruz, your module presenter for Ebon International's online SAP module. Until next time. The podcast production team, Casey Victoria, Kate Santos, and Carl Glenn Ronjal, technical assistants. Billy J. Creus and Wilmar Pachay III, consultants. Lorele Covera, program manager, and Ami Padilla, executive director. This podcast of the Ibon International Sustainable Consumption and Production Module has been produced with a financial contribution by the Swedish International Development Cooperation Agency through the Swedish Society for Nature Conservation or the SSNC. The views herein shall not necessarily be taken to reflect the official opinion of SSNC or its donors.